0: Hi there, I'm Mark Isero, and this is The Highlighter Podcast. Welcome to the 16th episode of The Highlighter Podcast. I'm very excited that you're here, and I'm also happy to share with you that there was a lot of consternation this week about Who is the guest going to be and which article are they going to talk about? Are they going to talk about polar bears or white supremacists? Well, you're going to find out soon. But first, I would like to introduce to you our guest today. And I'm very excited to say that my friend Sejol Patel, friend of many, many years, is on the show. And in addition to being a loyal subscriber to The Highlighter, She's also just a wonderful reader and a very caring person. And also, as a parent, she offers a very valuable perspective to this issue of education that perhaps uh, some educators may not necessarily know too much about. And so I definitely can't wait for you to listen to our interview. So let's get right to that now. Hi, Sejal. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for being on the show. How are you feeling about it?
1: I'm feeling excited.
0: We've been planning
1: this for a long time.
0: We have. And in fact, the listeners out there, not all of them might know sort of how long we've known each other and also sort of where we even met. So can you say a little bit about who you are and also how we know each other?
1: Of course. Um, so my name is Sejal Patel, and Mark and I met, well, we got to know each other best in high school because we were on the school newspaper together. I'm a year ahead of him in school. Um, I knew who you were in junior high, but I did not have any classes with you until writing for publication with our dear friend and mentor, Nick Farantinoff, um, And I now have three boys, Shaylin, Sean, and Kieran. They're um, in 11th, 9th, and 7th grade. And the two older ones go to the same high school we went to. So that's kind of interesting to see um, them go through the same schools that I went to. Um, You and I became very good friends as we sort of toiled through the writing process and learning how to write Um, And how to put a paper together. And some of my favorite memories of of us were, um, well, back in the day, it wasn't all digital. So we had to burnish all the pages. (laughs) And you were the master burnisher, as you know.
0: I was. You were, you were quite good, too. Um, but, yeah, we really worked really hard on that newspaper. And I think maybe, like, for the last however long, when I meet somebody who was also on a school newspaper, I try to explain to them what this newspaper was, and, and it doesn't always seem to register. And have you tried to do that? Like, how would you explain sort of how—I mean, for us both, it was truly probably one of the most— transformative experiences. In Absolutely. Can well, bit? can you say, yeah,
1: I don't, I'm, yeah, you're right. Cause like I would talk to other people about being on the newspaper and it didn't register as anything special or <laughs> amazing to them. And I didn't understand. I was like, well, I was on the newspaper. I mean, that was incredible. Um, I don't know. Did, I, wasn't it you who said, I can't remember if it was you or maybe our friend, Lina, but it was never about just writing. It was, it was, it was some other thing that happened in that classroom. And it was about teamwork and learning how to find yourself as a leader, but also like compromise and figuring out. I mean, I think for me, it was definitely all of those aspects in writing, but also there was definitely, um, how do I say it? There, something about, like, learning the truth and getting to the heart of the matter. And um, especially in this day and age with the media and stuff, I, I just really remember those lessons about never stopping and never letting someone keep the truth from coming out and always being on the hunt for what else you can uncover The friendships I made there were, like, the best I've ever had. I married one of those people, um, and I, I would say my best friends even today were from that program.
0: Yeah, I mean, totally transformative, both academically and personally. As an educator, you know, we talk a little bit about... Transformative experiences. How to create a classroom where the students really have agency and ownership. And and when I speak about the class um, with educators, they say, "Oh, wow! Really, the newspaper belonged to you?" And I said, "Yeah, it really did." And I think that also to just bring um, a little bit more context is that our teacher, who you know we we dearly loved, he he did pass away a couple years ago, and. And we've just known him, you know, since then. And I feel like we want him to still be alive, especially during this time. And and because we still want guidance uh, a little bit from him. I mean, what would he say, for example, around Trump and what would he say around all of the stuff? I mean, we still want to speak with him and we want to be in dialogue with him. Um, Also with sort of like the resurgence of journalism, because he really got us to believe that journalism and the search for truth was really a meaningful exercise. And so uh, it's just it's just so sad that he's no longer with us.
1: Yes. Uh, Yeah. All of those things. And um, yeah, I mean, every time I pick up the newspaper or my laptop to read something, I have his voice (laughs) in the back of my head, and it would be great if we could still talk to him, but I'm sure he would be shaking his head at most of what is going on.
0: Absolutely. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about your kids as well. So, yes, they're going to the same high school. Obviously, the high school is probably a little different from when we were there um, a few years ago. But also <laughs> I wanted to few. talk a little yeah. bit about, <laughs> right, Just I'd love you to say a little bit more about, how you interact with education and all, through the context of your kids, and sort of what some of your interests are as you see them going through both middle school and then now high school and beyond.
1: Okay. Yes. Um, so, well, I'm a pretty involved parent. I um, my background, just because people don't know, I I'm a stay-at-home mom now, but. I worked as a scientist and researcher at Stanford and a bunch of other biotech companies. So that's my background, but I've always had a love for English and literature and arts and music, all of those things, even though I'm not artistic or musical. I just think that those programs are very important to have. Um, So as my kids have gone through school, I've just been very involved as a parent volunteer, especially when they were in grade school, spent a lot of time in the classroom with the teachers and, um, doing literature circles with them and things like that. That's where my interest is, even though I'm more of a science background, but I've always loved reading. That's always been, you know, my go-to hobby ever since I was little. I tried to instill that in my boys early on as well. Um, and then of course you know your your role as a parent in the classroom changes once they go to middle school they don't the kids don't really want you there and i don't think i mean as much as the principal has always said we do want you here they don't really i mean they want you there to make copies and things like that they don't really want you in the classroom anymore and the dynamic is different at that point the kids are more independent that's fine but what's interesting is i think that so i feel like i didn't do much when they were in middle school but then in high school, I've had to reengage myself a little bit more. And I, it's a fine line. I don't want to be that bossy parent that I don't, I don't try to intervene on my kids' ha- behalf. But I definitely look at what they're doing and talk to my kids about how to approach their teachers because m- my older son is very reluctant to do that if he has a problem. He just wants to move on, and he does well in school, and so it's very hard for him to sort of talk to a teacher and talk about what he can do to improve, what, why he didn't meet the expectations or whatever. Um, so in high school, I've, I have had to intervene a couple times when things were just um, not right with a couple teachers doing things that were um, questionable. And... I know that we've talked about it before, but that's just mostly through email and meetings with the principal or the guidance counselor or the teacher themselves.
0: And how have you? Because you obviously are an advocate for teaching and teachers and education, but you're also a mom who wants to advocate for your kids, but also it seems like you at some times have sort of decided when is that time that you would intervene. And can you talk a little bit about how you have decided to negotiate all those roles and when you have decided to step in versus when, for example, you have your kid try to to sort of advocate for for himself?
1: Right. I mean, yeah. And, of course, I mean, obviously you want the kid to do it himself first. I mean – that that it ideally is the best way to handle it what I've found is even he's gotten much better I mean he's now in the 11th grade so ninth grade there weren't that many issues there was one issue with one particular teacher um, I just try to coach him at home just say look you know well maybe we should Describe what one of the problems was because I think that would help me explain what my role was. He had one particular teacher that um, all of a sudden decides to take um, attendance for an optional tutorial period as part of their grade, and she didn't notify them in advance. And partway through the semester, we realized his participation grade was like a low B And the participation grade was weighted quite heavily. And so his entire grade, even though he had pretty much 100% in all of his other categories, he was getting a B. And there was no way for him to climb out of it because he had not gone to the optional tutorial period. Um, so I had him go talk to her a couple times during the tutorial period. And she blew him off. She just said, well, that's how I'm doing it from now on. And so eventually I just asked for a meeting because she was not giving him any further explanation. So I felt like the next step was for me to meet with the teacher to try to understand why she instituted that policy because he didn't need the extra help. He was doing great in all of the other components of the class. So I wanted to understand what benefit she wanted him to gain and what benefit that was for his overall experience. Um, So I think that's the point where I felt I had to intervene because she wasn't giving him additional information to explain the policy or why she was doing it. So I think for me that, I mean, it's not just the grade. It's, you know, why are you instituting new things without an explanation?
0: Right. And so it seems like there's a trend there. So because there's a lot of listeners to this show who are teachers and you obviously acknowledge and recognize that they're working hard, sort of what would you say to teachers with regard to... Um, what would be something that you could suggest um, in dealing with, not necessarily even parents, but even with students? What, what are the topics or the trigger areas or what's important to you as a parent?
1: So I would say the number one thing is, I think, respect for the student. And I think most teachers probably feel like they have that, and I would say in most of our experiences that is there, but the couple times that we've had issues with the teacher, with our son, it's really come down to a question of respect, and what I mean by that is they just assume that the students are just trying to grade grub, and I understand why they would feel that way. But my son and most of the friends' kids that I know, they're working really hard. And so I think to just try to have that in the back of their mind, like, okay, not every kid is coming in here to try to ask for that extra point. Like, sometimes they're really in there to ask about why they got a B or an A minus or or a C on something. It might be because they actually want to learn from that so that they do better the next time. And I think that sometimes teachers have probably had problems with students, and it's probably annoying, and I completely understand that. But to maybe just be a little bit more open-minded, if a student comes to you once or twice and you keep saying that you don't want to talk about the grade, and I do try to tell my son, don't ask about the grade, ask, can you please explain or help me identify what I can do better next time? But sometimes they're not even willing to sit down for that. So I think just being a little bit more willing to see that the kids aren't just there to try to, you know, ask for extra points, because that's really not what at least my son is generally trying to do, um, and just having a willi- an open conversation about that. We've also gone to back-to-school nights where um, my friend, her son's teacher said, you know, if your son is getting or your child's getting a C, that's not an emergency, but if you think it's an emergency, I guess I'll talk to you. I don't know, that just doesn't feel like it's a willing and open partnership with parents to try to make sure that their kids do as well as they can in the class. So I think that, yeah, yeah I mean, I think that just having a an, a willingness to engage with the students, and I also understand on the flip side, it feels sometimes like the students are not doing their part at home and so i'm sure that's frustrating and that probably feeds into that response on occasion that we've gotten it and i do want to you know emphasize that this is the minority of our experiences not the majority um just one more thing i was going to say is like sometimes it's also hard when we've literally had a teacher or two who have said do not email me i will not respond to email but then, when my son goes to them during, like, we have a, something called tutorial period, they're in, like, a long queue and they can't get their question answered then either. And it's not appropriate necessarily to interrupt, you know, a classroom lecture with something sort of off topic, too. So I don't know why some teachers do that. I mean, maybe they get inundated with emails, but. I think just being willing to, I don't know, maybe you have another, you know, like a, a note, like a box where they can put a note and maybe you can look through those later and then work one-on-one. I, that's frustrating to me too, to say I'm not going to check your emails, but but yet they email the students and are expected to have, the students are expected to read those emails. So that's. Just a little pet peeve of mine.
0: Yeah, it it is of mine, too, as well, this idea of communication. And if you're going to use one piece of communication for yourself but not do the reciprocation, it does seem a little bit challenging. Or this idea of offering um, one one form of communication and then not offering another and then not being consistent on that. I I definitely agree with you there. I, are you ready for the largest pivot in all of podcast history? We're going to go from teachers to white supremacy. Is this what Yes we're going to do right now? Let's do that.: <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it, yeah, because you said that you wanted to talk about the New Yorker article from this week's newsletter that talked about this one regular guy who all of a sudden becomes a white supremacist and. And so, talk a little bit about that. What's what's on your mind with this article?
1: I just found it so disturbing because I read the article, and you know, you're you're reading along, and I never quite understood what his. I mean, it it sort of says that he. It sounds like he became a white supremacist because, for lack of a better reason, he just wanted to be contrarian, and then started to just believe the stuff. I just don't understand. That switch from having married a Jewish person, having a bi, you know, a biracial adopted brother, and being in a family that is definitely on the more progressive side—I, I, I just—I, it's disturbing because if I don't understand why or how that's happening, how do we stop that? I don't, I don't understand.
0: Well, he seems to have had a tough childhood, or at least he wasn't necessarily accepted. And then in high school, it seems like he became a contrarian because he really enjoyed getting other people mad and riling people up. He got a lot, and I I totally noticed this, by the way. There are a lot of people who they don't even necessarily have a claim or a thesis about an issue, but they'll just just sort of create, (laughs) yeah, and so, but isn't that a lot of people?
1: Yeah, I guess that makes it even scarier then, right, that that many people could be on that like pivot point from like that to something so extreme. I mean, I I read it and I understood what the article was saying. It's just I can't absorb it, I think is the maybe the right way to describe my feelings about it. I just what made me really sad was reading about the father and how he was like, "I don't right. understand." And is this a reflection on, you know, the childhood that he had with us? I mean, lots of people get divorced. I mean, not obviously That's not a trigger. I mean, maybe it fed into some other things for him. but And then when he wanted him to change his last name, and then the guy refused in the end. But, I mean, that must be so painful as a parent. I can't imagine.
0: Totally, because... Yeah, you still want to to love your kid, and yet your kid has totally gone away, and there's no way to get him back, although there may not be a great way to explain how he got there in the first place. Uh, I mean, because we know that lots of people have had difficult backgrounds and lots of people like to rile people up with contrarian views and lots of people are white and lots of people are people of color. And, and yet I'm putting more and more of these articles in similar to you. Like I'm trying to understand why is this happening? And I know that maybe there is no way to understand, but somehow I hope that by reading more and understanding more that perhaps I will, I will get this, um, I think that one thing that I'm thinking about that I get worried about, especially now that there's no real truth or real sort of way that people read well, is I worry about people who might have something going on like this, who are smart and they read a lot and they somehow create a worldview, maybe conspiracy worldview, and they keep on reading because there's a lot of stuff to read but they're not being good readers. And like that also bothers me, this idea of a lack of skepticism or or a lack of sort of really understanding what good writing is versus what's not. So maybe that's also what, what is, what's bothering me a little bit. It's sort of like, yeah, you can construct an argument for any bad claim, but why though? Like why would you, especially him who had this, totally different background, but then all of a sudden he wants to go toward a superiority and a white supremacist claim because he doesn't actually feel like he has that much power, so he has to somehow feel better than other people. Can you explain any of that?
1: No, I cannot explain any of that. And, I mean, I think one of the things that maybe stood out to me even more. I mean, he did seem like he was a bit of a loner in high school and stuff and he didn't obviously he wasn't good at college, so he but he ended up with like a good job and it sounds like he had like a nice wife. I mean, this is not someone who, you know, is living in some area where he's unemployed and and therefore spiraling into some sort of depression. I mean, I think the fact that he's outwardly like got a normal looking life that I think is what's more frightening to me because I mean he did end up having some depression issues I think right and then he started taking medicine and gained weight and then became more homebound I mean that part where like they are just basically playing video games and that anonymity of like being able to say things not directly to people. I mean, maybe that is definitely part of it, too. It's easier to do that and then maybe flush out some views that are extreme because you don't have to there are no consequences when you're doing that. Online or the, the consequences are different. I should yeah. say.
0: Yeah, it's, maybe that's maybe that's the thing to try to blame is that okay. So once there's tons of hours, never going outside and never interacting with people and being anonymous on it, it does it definitely leads to extreme views. Um, but not. But there's plenty of people who go online and and do that forever and don't actually turn out that way.
1: Right, and and so why. Why him? I don't know. Do you have an idea of why him?
0: I, I I. don't. But the thing is, I'm trying to figure out what we do then. So what can we do? Not necessarily to prevent, because that seems to be large, but what is there to be done? Um, I don't think that there's an easy way to understand it, but what can you and I and the listeners be thinking about? I mean, for me, again, I'll go back to my reading thing. I really do believe that um, reading is not, here's one of my biggest, it's not public and it's not taught in any sort of specific way except for some teachers. And so we learn to read in our homes and generally with our parents, and then we go to school and we're seen as good or bad readers. But the actual act of how to read and how to be skeptical and how to discern what truth is, unfortunately, I don't think is necessarily something that is taught, like writing is. So writing, I believe that there is more of a craft there's more rules and it's more public. I have this notion that as an educator, if we spend a little bit more time being more uh, systematic with reading, that perhaps we would decrease some of these crazy notions that I feel come through reading. But that was only part of like his story, I think. like There's other parts too. So that's sort of like what I think that maybe yeah. I could do um, a little bit. But is there anything that we can do, and do you have any suggestions?
1: I wish I did. I mean, well, let me just respond to your point really quickly. I mean, I think absolutely, and I think that goes back to our journalism teacher. I mean, I was obviously a good reader before then, but I think really learning to read through a lens of, like, being a little bit skeptical about everything you read and understanding where some bias might come into. And I've tried to pass that along to my children, but I agree. I don't think that they've been formally taught that in school. They do do a lot of nonfiction reading and have to do analysis, but I don't know that, I don't think that they've gotten the same education that I got. So I should do do a better job of teaching them because I can do that. So that's me, just what I can do with three people that, um, I don't know how to dispel this notion also that there's, you know, all this news that Trump says is fake news. That's just so dangerous to, but I mean, it all, I think it all comes back to, yeah, you're right. It comes back to not understanding and how to separate what is the truth and what is not the truth and what facts can i really get from this information but i don't know how i as a stay-at-home mom can increase that influence beyond my three kids that's a hard that's a hard question to answer
0: yeah. i don't know well maybe we will find yeah maybe we will find if we just continue to read the highlighter maybe we'll <laughs> somehow find the truth or maybe we've definitely made a lot of progress here on this show, so I want to thank you. And then perhaps the next guest can sort of take us, you know, to the next level so that we can at some point try to figure out what's going on. Um, but Sajel, we have to go. I'm really, really very thankful for this conversation. I hope you enjoyed. I know that the audience is going to be offering some rave reviews, but I just (laughs) want to thank you for taking this time and being on the show.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me.
0: I'd like to thank Sejal yet again for being on the show and for being a loyal subscriber to The Highlighter just like all of you are out in the audience. Thank you so much for listening and also thank you so much for subscribing to The Digest which will come out yet again this Thursday at 9, 10 a.m. So please be looking for it. If you have any questions or if you have any reviews, please email me at mark at highlighter.cc. Hope you have a great week.